Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Well, yeah, New Orleans. And hello to all my friends across the country. Enjoying temperatures about 10 to 20 degrees normal, uh, above normal uh, for December. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picune, the advocate and bet.nola.com. And this is Datitude, episode number, i got to think about it now, 32. Episode number 32 for a Wednesday, December the 8th, 2021. We apologize for no episode on Monday. We had told you that we were thinking about taking the day off. We did. Ended up working out because I've been under the weather for a few days, as you might be able to tell. Um, You talk about those temps above 15, 20 degrees above normal. And uh, every time that happens in the fall slash winter, bam, gets me. And it got me good this time. Um, I started feeling it right before I did that uh, big game Friday night, Ponchatoula and Acadiana. And uh, look, we're going to talk a little bit about Saints and a little bit about uh, the college football playoff in a little bit. But... um, this episode is mostly going to be dedicated to high school football. Again, we haven't done a lot of that in this show, um, and it's a huge part of my background here in this business. And um, so I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that we've ignored it, but I mean, obviously, you know, when you come into something like this, uh, people mostly want to hear about the Saints, and that's what the show is focused on. LSU, when they're doing when they're doing okay or when news is going on, we've done that. The New Orleans Pelicans, um, oof, yikes. Um, we haven't done a lot of them either. But look, I, this show, there's an interview coming up in a little bit from St. Charles coach Wayne Stein. And you got to hear it. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, whether you care about prep football or you don't, um, it is just incredible, the story of these comments. And I joke with Wayne Stein, and I'm only semi-joking that we should write a book. It, it's, it's, it's a good enough story to be a Disney movie. That's how good it is. And Wayne tells it so well. And I couldn't be happier for them after they won the Division Three state championship, defeating, and when I say power... I mean, Lafayette Christian Academy is not just a power in Division Three, who's moving up next season. Uh, so obviously playing two-way football, and if you're not that familiar with high school football, it goes 1A through 5A in Louisiana. And the private schools play in a separate championship um, in the playoffs. That's a whole other story we'll get to at another point. But... Um, yeah, St. Charles played in the Division Three championship. And this Lafayette Christian team, again, if you don't know anything about prep football, they were defeating 5A powers earlier in the season. They beat Acadiana, who made it to the semifinals and were just a hair away from making it to the Dome for the third straight year. And that's the kind of team that St. Charles beat. A team that beat Arch Manning and Newman walloped them the week before in the quarterfinals. 
by, I think, five or six touchdowns. So to say it was David versus Goliath would be an understatement. I mean, this is like a mole against Goliath. And they competed with him. They made it to the state championship game against him last year. In Frank Monica's last game as coach of St. Charles, long time, really New Orleans area legendary coach Frank Monica. And Wayne Stein, who had been coaching under him for many years, took the team over. Thought they were going to be pretty good. They had some good seniors. But then Ida hit and destroyed the school, destroyed the community. And these kids were living all over the place. And he didn't know if there was going to be a football season. Not only was there a football season, but they won undefeated and they won the Division Three state championship. And I'm telling you, it's a movie. And the story, it's about a half-hour interview. As I look at my thing, it's 28 minutes. And uh, again, if you, I don't care if you don't care one iota about prep football. you got to listen to it. It is outstanding. So that's coming up. But first, we're going to have um, my friend, Coach Nick Saltfamaggio of Holy Cross, he is going to come on, and he did the game with me last Friday night, Ponchatoula and Acadiana. Um, Coach Hank Tierney's 300th victory in his career. And we, uh, you know, we talk about it being, um, during the broadcast, his first win came on September the 3rd, 1983. His, 40, his 300th came on December the 3rd, 2021. So you can do the math and figure out how long it took, and what a special accomplishment that is. And now he's going to the Dome to try to win 301 in what could be just his, or what would be just his second state championship victory if he's able to pull it off against top-seeded Zachary. Coach Salt coming up in about, oh, five to eight minutes. We were supposed to have Hank on um, today. In fact, um, we held this podcast a little bit longer um he's got some things going on at school so we'll try to get him on friday uh it's a very busy week for if you're if you're coaching in a state championship game you got a lot going on i'd reached out to jerry phillips over at one easton they play westgate in the 4a game and uh coach has got a lot going on so we can completely uh understand that and we hope to have uh hank on friday and uh, if maybe jerry can come on next week we'll we'll give him a call and see but before we get to the high school, I do want to talk on a couple of things. Obviously, we haven't been on the air since Friday. Five-day layoff at Attitude. I think that's the longest we've had since we started this show back in September. And, um, you know, the Saints uh, playing the Jets this week. My NFL picks came out this morning. I, it's the hardest game of the year to predict. Even with all that's going on all year, this, to me, is the hardest one to predict, Right? You would think maybe it'd be easier. The, the Saints are five-point favorites. And if, if you look at the board, it's a, it's a vast difference across the spectrum. They're anywhere from four and a half to six, depending on where you bet it. Now, we use Caesar Sportsbook as, um, as our official numbers. Our partner at bet.nola.com and The Advocate. Um, and there are five there, so that's the that's the numbers we used in my column. But you know, right now I got to pick the Jets. And honestly, 
um, as it stands now, unless things change, I got to pick the Jets straight up. I just don't, I don't, I don't understand that line. And the Saints are just in a bad spot. I mean, you know, I, I've given them probably more credit than they deserved over the past couple of weeks, and I thought they would come out and, you know, for the most part, they played as well as they could play last Thursday night. You know, everybody's blaming Taysom Hill. We went, we went through this last Thursday, so I'm not going to rehash this. We'll talk more about it on Friday when we do a real preview. But I thought Taysom Hill played for someone that hadn't really played hardly any football in six weeks. Thought he did a pretty decent job. And you can scream at your phone. He threw four picks. Well, two of them were in the fourth quarter when the game was basically done. And I'm not making excuses for him, but if you look at that blindside block call, that changed the whole complexion of the game. 13-10, Saints come out of the locker room. They stop Dallas three and out. They get the ball back on a punt. Second play, they get 22 yards to the 40-whatever-yard line. And they get called for a blindside block. Instead, it's first, it's second and 20. And you have to punt. Changed everything. The Saints go down there and score in that drive. Even if they just kick a field goal on that drive and tie it up, it changes the thought process of the game. It changes the feel of the game. I think it changes the way Hill plays. I think it changes the way Peyton uses Hill. It changes a lot of things. Again, I'm not saying they would have won, but I'm saying they would have had a, a pretty good shot to win. And it maybe changed the outlook on the season. So... I haven't talked to one person except for one kind of just crackpot goofball on uh, social media who didn't think that was a bad call. And we know what the crackpot goofballs on social media will talk about. But uh, again, we'll get to more of that uh, on Friday. We just don't know enough to, to make a, a determination right now. And I say that in my picks. I may go back and change that pick. Um, if the Saints get Alvin Kamara back, if they get Ryan Ramchek back, if Marcus Davenport comes back, even really if two of those guys come back, especially Kamara, who's going to play receiver now? Kenny Stills waved yesterday. I mean, we just we don't even know who's going to play. It's just it's a strange situation for sure, and it's one that the team's been fighting, and it's it seems to get worse every week. You know, Deontay Harris going now three games beginning his. Suspension. Cam Jordan has COVID. Will he play on Sunday? From what I'm hearing, um, Cam Jordan has a very good chance to play. Um, he was vaccinated and he was asymptomatic, so all he needs to do is have a negative, I think two negative tests by um, before Sunday and he'll be able to play. When Mickey Loomis talks about it, um, on the coaches show on WWL on Monday night and, you know, giving Peyton a break because uh, they had two Thursday games. But he, sa- he said it before. I've heard him say this before. You know, one thing that makes them nervous is not necessarily that you get this COVID test. It's that you get a COVID, positive COVID test and you start wondering where else the dominoes are going to fall. And so maybe the Saints dodged a bullet where that comes from, but... You know, you think about who's starting and who's not. And, I mean, you got 
I think I heard, uh, I think on offense, it's now four. There are only four of the original 11 starters left on offense. And already down in your quarterback. I mean, you can't afford to go down more than a few more. So I said last week that I kind of lightened up a little bit on how harsh uh, my feelings were towards Trevor Simeon, but I haven't changed the fact that I know this team can't win with him in there. And so we're going to see Taysom Hill. And I would imagine if they do lose to the Jets, I think we're going to see Ian Book real soon. I mean, you want to see what, what the kid's got and if he has potential to be your future quarterback. And I think that he does. I mean, I didn't see a, a ton of them in preseason, but just by what I saw in college in his career, uh, the kid's a winner. And I know he's only six feet tall, but guess what? The Saints' last quarterback from that lasted here for 15 years is going to be wearing a gold jacket someday. Um, if he was six feet tall, which is what he was listed as, then I'm 6'3". And I'm 6'2". So just saying. But uh, we'll see what happens. We'll get, we'll talk more about the Saints on Friday. I'm not exactly sure who my guests are going to be besides Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick as we talk about our picks. Um, but it will be a local media person that you all know very well. And we will definitely break down Saints and Jets. Uh, I also want to go over the college football playoff a little bit. And, you know, everybody thinks that Alabama is going to win the championship now because they destroyed Georgia last weekend. And, hey, they might. They might. I don't see it. I'm never one to let one game affect my decision on how I'm going to bet going forward. Well, I can't say never. Rarely. And I can tell you what that, that's going to do with this, with these lines coming up. If, and a, and a big if, if Alabama and Georgia were both to win in the playoff semifinals, um, whatever bowl games they are, is it Cotton and, uh, I'm not even sure what they are, which ones they're playing in. But, uh, and I don't have it in front of me. I'm not going to look it up. It doesn't matter. It's, a, it's the playoff. If they both win their games and they meet up in the, in the national championship, what do we think the line's going to be? It was six and a half. Georgia was a six and a half point favorite. And I told you last week that that line bothered me. And it bothered me not necessarily because I didn't think Georgia was six and a half points better than Alabama because I, I did. And I obviously thought that from the beginning. But had I not made my bet basically right after championships because I thought it was going to inflate. I thought it was going to go up. But had I not made that bet, I wouldn't have bet on it at all. I wouldn't have bet on Alabama and I wouldn't have bet I wouldn't have bet it at all. Because it got it was funky. They were begging me. Whenever you see a six and a half or a two and a half and it stays there and it stays there all week long and it doesn't change and every book has the same number. You know, we were just talking about how the Saints are your big range of four and a half to six. You can go shopping. If you were in Vegas, you can go shopping. Or if betting on apps were legal here in Louisiana, you could go shopping for the number that you wanted, depending on what side you were on. But there was no shopping in Georgia and Alabama. It was six and a half, and it was six and a half everywhere. It was telling you 
They were begging you to bet on Georgia. And the public complied. And the bookies made a ton of money. Gets to my point of what do we think that spread is going to be the next time they play? It's going to be something stupid. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Alabama's favored. I don't think it'll go that far. But at, at worst, it's going to be Alabama minus, uh, Alabama plus two or somewhere in that neighborhood. So you're going to tell me a four-point – we'll get into all this if it happens. But I'm just telling you the next time, Aunt Mabel and Drunk Joe and everybody and their grandma, they're all going to be betting on Alabama. I still think Georgia's the best team in in, in, the, in the NCAA football brackets. And I would not be surprised at all if Cincinnati is super tight with Alabama. I'd be surprised if, Al, if Cincinnati wins. I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be surprised if Cincinnati wins. But look, college football got exactly what they wanted. They did not want to put Alabama, they couldn't put Alabama against Georgia in, in the first round. So had Alabama lost the tight game, Georgia found a way to come back, like before it got, it got to be a blowout, it was close for a while. They would still probably made Alabama number three and made Michigan number two and had those two play each other. They did not want Alabama playing Georgia in the first round. They want to save that. And now that Alabama beat Georgia, well, they got the best of all worlds because now they can have Alabama play Cincinnati because they just think that Alabama will mop the floor with Cincinnati and they won Alabama in the title game. It's ratings. And now Georgia can play Michigan and whoever wins, they don't care. If it's Alabama-Michigan, it'll be super-watched. If it's Alabama-Georgia, it'll be super-watched. But they got what they wanted. And they usually do. But, um, again, we'll be talking. We're going to do Zach uh, Ewing, Devin Jackson, and I think we're going to get Spencer Urquhart in it. We're going to be doing a little contest between us. Um, We're going to be picking all the bowl games. Um, including that one, and then we're gonna we're gonna have a, a, a x amount of fake dollars, whether it be a five hundred or a thousand, to pick, make all of our picks for the bowl games. And then at the very end, when it's all said and done, um, we're going to have uh, we're gonna have like final jeopardy, and you can bet whatever you want um, of your remaining stack zero if you want to see who wins the the whole little tournament between us. We're also trying to find a way to have readers involved and Datitude listeners involved, if you want. So all that is going to be coming up soon. We'll keep you involved and uh, let you know how that's going to go. But we're going to be talking a lot about bowl games going forward and how to pick them. And if you want to pick them, you can go down to Harris and bet them, or you can go to Boomtown or go to the Mississippi Gulf Coast or, (coughs) excuse me, but hopefully you won't have to go to the Mississippi Gulf Coast much longer. December 11th. I'm going to close out the show talking about December 11th, which is Saturday. Big vote. If you live in St. Tammany Parish, go vote yes. you got to vote yes for the Camellia Bay Casino. We'll talk more about that coming up. Let's get into the guest. Uh, we start off here with uh, Holy Cross coach Nick Saltfamaggio. And, um, Again, disclaimer, anybody who knows me knows this anyway. Salt and I have been friends for a long time. 
Um, we became friends when he was coaching at Chalmette High, and I was the St. Bernard uh, Bureau prep guy back in the early 2000s and into the mid-2000s and when uh, Katrina hit, and we were all scattered, and that kind of ended that. And um, even though we all went our separate ways, and Salt went to Georgia and coached at Oconee High School, coached a kid named, um, I'm sure you remember him, Zach Mettenberger. Ended up playing at LSU and then the NFL. Um, Zach, I think, was like a freshman or sophomore when, when Salt was over there. But I. I'm pretty certain was the start. It was a starter for him. But anyway, so Salt and I became friends, and he's been, um, whenever he wasn't coaching, he was my broadcast partner, and uh, we took a drive up to Punch Tool together. He broadcasted the game with me, and he has an interesting take on uh, the games coming up this weekend, but we do spend a lot of time talking about Punch Tool at Katie And as much as we, uh, look, Wayne Stein is a great story, but I, I think this whole postseason here this year is a great story in, in high school football. Not quite Dwayne Stein's story. But you talk about Ponchatoula and Hank and his 300th victory. But you also got Warren Easton playing Westgate. Warren Easton, everyone expected it to be Easton Carr. Maybe the the gods above are shining. Maybe this is Easton's year. Not saying they couldn't beat Carr because I think they'd give him a hell of a game in the championship, but I mean, let's let's be frank. They haven't been able to beat him in the championship game. In fact, they haven't had a lot of success with him at all. And they've had a lot of tight games, and now they don't have to worry about Carr. They can just go play their game and play Westgate. And I'm not saying that, you know, Westgate beating Carr last week in 4A, quite an upset. Going to be an interesting uh, game. We talk about those things. We, we kind of reflect back on Jesuit's tough game with Catholic last weekend. And we do talk about St. Charles. So here he is, Coach Salt. And, and again, whatever you do, make sure you stick around for the Wayne Stein uh, interview that's coming up after that. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast, Holy Cross football coach Dominic Saltavimaggio. And, um, you know, let's just get the disclaimer out of the way. You know, let everybody know you and I have been friends for a long time. So uh, we have done many a broadcast together. Um but I think it's important to have you on because I think that, um, you know, no one knows high school football around here better than you do. So let's have you, let's have the, let's have the expert on and look, you know, you and I did, let's start off with Ponchatoula right off the bat. And you and I did that game last weekend. And, uh, just, I mean, to me, Ponchatoula, Katie and, and I didn't get to see Jesuit and I know Jesuit Catholic was in St. Charles. We, we have Wayne Stein on the show. Just this whole weekend of football was kind of kind of the epitome of what high school football is all about. Yeah, no doubt, Jim. And I, I, you know, I hope one day that we're able to all get us back together in the same bracket because it would have been interesting to see a Jesuit or a Catholic team uh, playing playing a Ponchatoula, Cadiana, or, or a Destrahan and Zachary on the other side of it. I just think there are a lot of really really good football players on all six of those teams. And, uh, you know, to see those guys all battle each other. But, you know, back to Ponchatoula, Acadiana, you know, first of all, congratulations to Coach Hank. I can't think of a more well-deserving man. Um, I've always maintained this, Jim. When you can do it in a Catholic school as he did at Shaw 
and then you could turn around and do it in a public school environment like he's done at Pachatula. That is the mark of a great football coach. And there's only another guy. I can only think of one other guy, and that's Coach Louie Cook, who did it at Crowley and did it at Notre Dame, and now he's doing it at, at Notre Dame. Um, you know, those guys are special coaches. So, again, you know, congratulations to Coach Hank. Um, but, again, you got a great weekend of, of high school football coming in. If there's anything good about the split, it should get two weekends of state championships. There's no doubt about that. And, I mean, I would say last weekend, covering the game that we covered, having Ponchatoula felt like a state championship game in, in itself. Yeah, well, no, semifinal. I, I always have maintained semifinal weekend is more enjoyable than final than the finals, you know, cause uh, that's the hurt to get over that hump um, and to get into the dome. The dome has a way of equalizing everything, right? You know, when you get in the dome, everybody's in the same stadium. The, the massiveness of the arena is the same. The nerves for playing in the state championship game are all equal. Everything's equal. But at that semifinal hump where you have to go to somebody else's stadium, like Acadiana had to do with Ponchatoula, has you, you have that pressure of traveling, and then if you're Ponchatoula, you have the pressure. Of, well, we got a, we have a home semifinal game, you know. So I just think that hurdle is really, really tough to get over. And um, you're in school all day long, you're hearing it all day long, and and just to get to that game to play it. Um, that, that's, that's the big jump, and, and Ponchatoula was able to do it, uh, played great defense when they needed to, um, had a scoop score that wound up being the winning points in the game uh, against, against arguably the team that's dominated the last 20 years in 5A, Acadiana. And you were, I mean, you're the perfect person to have on to talk about Ponchatoula because you were in almost exactly the same situation, what, uh, five years ago. You right, know, you got right. you guys play Acadiana. You play them in a, game, in a high-scoring game, in a hard-hitting game. You end up getting a, a late victory. You win with, I don't know, 40-some-odd points or whatever it was. So that the 45, I believe, right? 45, yeah, 43. Yeah, 43-42. 43-42. And then you get to the Dome, and who's waiting for you? Zachary. So, I mean, right. you're, you're in a similar spot. Um, if you were – if you had advice for Hank – what would it be to, you know, not that he needs advice. He's been coaching 40 years, got 300 wins, but to, to have this turnaround and to expel all your en energy against the Zachary team that obviously, don't get me wrong, Destrahan's great, but they didn't have to expel the same kind of energy that, that Destrahan did. Um, is it, how tough is it going to be for them going into the Dome on Saturday after all they had to do to just win this one in such an emotional win for Coach Hank and, and with, with it being number 300? Well, I think it's, it's hard because you're right. You, you know, the road there, and I, di I didn't follow Pachi all the way through. I know going four years ago at, at Hornville, our road there was so hard. We had to go to Ruston uh, and win against an outstanding Ruston team, turn around and play undefeated Covington with Broomfield, then go to Acadiana, and we were in, you know, we were in a battle after a battle after a battle. I, I, the one thing I could go back and do, and I guess the advice I'd give to Coach Hank is, is I'd probably back off of practice a little bit. You know, we, we didn't back off. I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. I'm superstitious. So everything we did in, in September, we were doing in December. And, and I wish I wouldn't have done that. And, 
you know, you know, there's a lot of other people there. And we went into it with a, with a, you know, Puka was playing probably, well, he was playing on one leg. He was hurt really badly. Uh, Jaquan gets hurt the first play of the game. All those things just come from wear and tear. I mean, it's like you got a 50,000 mile, mile tire and you got 85,000 miles on it. So sooner or later, it's going to blow out. And that, that's kind of the way I, I would look if, if I was Coach Tank. And they're a physical football team. I mean, I know they're a spread team, but they're a run, downhill run team. I would back off practice a little bit this week. But like you said, what advice could I give him? He's got 300 wins, you know. So uh, I'm sure he'll do the right thing. I'm sure he will. Um, you know, it, it, it's getting to the dome itself is, is, is hard enough. I mean, and, and winning there is, is even harder. What, what were the difference in the two games? Obviously, one was a win, one was a loss. But what, what were the biggest differences between the team at East Jefferson that won, uh, defeating a car team that no one expected you to beat, and then going the second time in 5A with Hornville? The road there, Jim, um, I this will sound disrespectful. I don't mean it to be. It's just the reality. Look, the road to the Dome in 4A is – and it's still that way to this day now. You know, you got to go through Easton. You got to go through Carr. You got to go through Neville. So the year we went, we went through Easton, Neville to get the Carr. Our first two games, if I can remember correctly, it's, it's been almost – it's been nine years. Our first two games – uh, I think we won the first game in a shutout, and we won the second game by giving up six. I mean, it was just—it wasn't that difficult. But in five A, it is a—it is a path to get there. I mean, you got to go through some big time people. You know, you, there's Acadiana, there's West Monroe, there's Zachary, there's Destrahan, there's Hornville, there's Ruston, there's Wachita. I mean, it—it it doesn't. That first round 5A game, you may get a, a guy that maybe shouldn't be there, maybe ranked highly and shouldn't be ranked that highly uh, because of the districts in the area around the state. But, I mean, when you get to the round of 16 and 5A, you got to strap it up every single week. So when we got there with EJ, we were fresh. No one was hurt. Uh, our legs were still underneath us. Um, I had a special group of guys who weren't intimidated by anybody, anywhere, ever. Um, we got to it from Hornville. We went through a buzzsaw, and, um, and we were just a tired, beat-up football team. But, you know, uh, and the brand of football that I coach and we play, you know, we're going to line up with a tight end and, and run the football at you. Uh, we were just kind of worn down. So, to me, that's the two big differences. You know, I think one of the things, the things that coach Hank has going in his favor is he's been able to play both styles of football, right? He's won games where he's had to spread people out and throw it a lot. And he's won games where he's been able to line up and hand it to number one, who I don't okay. think anybody wants to tackle, you know? And okay. uh, so that is an advantage for him. I, I, we didn't have those advantages uh, at, in either at EJ or at Hornfield. We were going to have to line up. We were, if, if we couldn't run the ball down the field to win the game, we weren't going to win the game. And fortunately, we were good enough one year and, and you know, unfortunately not the next. Well, <clears throat> you know, you, we talked about your foray, John, and here we have – you talk about who you have to go through, and here it is, Warren Easton in the state championship game. I think we're all shocked that Carr didn't make it, but you got to hand it to Westgate who, you know, I think even you and I watching that score going along the way, what was wondering 
when would Carr come back? When would it was only a matter of time, not not if, but when. And Westgate held on, and you got to give them all the credit in the world. And now Easton, if anything else, they've got Easton's attention. Right, and you know the great thing about football, Jim, uh, and it's what I love about it, as it relates to other sports, is. Football truly is on any given night, right? You don't have to win the best seven or the best of three. You have to win that one time, you know, and, and that's what makes those games so important. And I tell our teams in the playoffs, when we get to the playoffs, I tell them two things. Everybody's going to cry. Over the next five weeks, everybody's crying. Only one of them is going to be tears of joy. The second thing I tell them is somebody along the way isn't going to practice hard enough that week to win that game. Don't let it be us. Let it be the opponent. So I think sometimes, and I'm not saying this happened by any stretch. God knows I got to play car next year in the district. But sometimes you win so much that you just think, well, you know what? We are whoever. We're Alabama. We're, we're whoever. And we're just going to keep doing things the same way. But, well, that week, that guy really looks forward to playing Alabama. And they're going to do things extra hard and do the extra things you need to do. And, and because you only have to win one time, not three, not five, just one, you get bit, you know, and it, it happens. It, and I'm sure Cole won't let it happen again. I can promise you that. And I'll tell you this, Westgate's now the only team that has a chance to, not only do you get a chance to knock off Carr in the semifinals, but to me, if you go over the past decade, no offense to anybody else in 4A, and that includes Neville. But Carr and Easton have been the two powers in 4A for about a decade now. And you got a chance to knock them off week after, you know, two weeks in a row and win in the Dome and win a state championship. And there is no one on the planet that would be able to say your state championship wasn't well earned if you're able to win a state championship by knocking off those two if you're Westgate. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, it's one of the reasons. Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I'm very, very proud of what we accomplished at Ichay was, was the way we had to do it. I, you know, you go back to the last couple of weeks of the season, uh, you know, we, we, we played Salmon. You know, I know, I know things have changed and times have changed a little bit, but, you know, Salmon back then was really, really good. So we went Salmon, sure. Franklinton, McDonough 35, North DeSoto, Warren Easton, Neville Dome, and won. That, that's, a, that's a run, you know, in Westgate. I saw Westgate. They played St. Augustine this year, and, and uh, St. Augustine was able to beat them. But I saw them on film. You could tell that those guys had some players. Their skill guys were exceptional. So I think it's going to be a battle. I think, I think you know, those guys in Warren Easton are going to go get it. And it's two, I think, two completely different mindsets. You know, here's Jerry and Warren Easton. They've been in that dome a bunch of times. They've always run up against their nemesis car and, you know, a point here, a point there, a first down here, first down there. And we could be talking about Warren Easton winning three, four, five state championships in a row. And then you got Westgate kind of the way, uh, you know, I guess the way they look at it is I'll never forget after we beat Neville in the semifinal, I was driving home and, and Coach Rando calls me on the phone and says, don't blow it. It might be the only time you get there. You know, and so I'm lucky that I was able to get there again, but you know, maybe that's their mindset. Like, we're going to do everything we need to do to win this because you just don't know. And, um, you know, again, that, that to me, that's the approach I'm taking if I'm Westgate. Nobody expected us to be here. We have two losses. 
We're going to be the underdog. We're going to show everybody. We're, you know, and I don't like the term shock the world because I think when you're 12 and two, you've earned your stripes. You've earned right. the right to be there. So there's no shocking the world there. Right. But I do think going into it, Westgate has the opportunity to be the looser, uh, more aggressive type football team. You know, and, um, you know, especially now with, with Carr coming up to 5A next year, I think that opens the path for, for, uh, for different schools to get, to get into the 4A state championship game. Well, I also want to talk, even though Amita is, is quite a ways out of the, it's, it's out of the normal metro area, but I, I think the, the talk about Manny and, and the Manny Tigers, when we talk about class 2A, Manny, a team that's really becoming a dynasty type team, finding its way in the dome quite often. Coach Jess Curtis has done an outstanding job at Manny. And they meet another regular in the Dome, a, a team that knows how to get there, and a team that nobody wants to play in December. I mean, it just is what it is. So I'm really looking forward to the clash of these two Titans this week, uh, this weekend, no matter what happens. I mean, you, you couldn't ask for any more than Manny versus a meet in Class 2A. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I think, Jim, a lot of that, when you kind of start having these same teams there year in and year out, year in and year out, um, not, not that it becomes uh, boring or mundane because it is state championship weekend, but uh, it's kind of like when you go, you know, in college football, everybody starts pulling against Alabama, you know. Um, you, you, if you're that guy, if you're the Manny or you're the, you're the Carr or you're, or you're the Zachary, you come in angry, you know. You come in, all right, you want, I'm going to show you, you want to pull against us? I'm going to show you what's about to happen to you for pulling against us. So, you know, I, I would love to be uh, in, in that kind of environment where you just know, man, it's like, you know, the old us versus the world mentality. Well, shame on people because they're good and they're doing it the right way and they've earned their right to be there. You know, I, I'm, I think it is going to be a great game, but I, don't, I wouldn't count out a meet. I watched a meet uh, on play Jonesboro Hodge a little while ago. I was watching the replay. A meet's got some – Typical A-meet football, right? They got guys that can run out of the stadium in a hiccup. You blink and they're, they're already at the concession stand. I mean, they can go. So I think it is going to be a great game. No? I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a great game as well. And, um, you know, before we talk about what happened last weekend, you know, you also have to talk about, I, I think Homer is a great story to see Homer in 1A. You know, they've always, they haven't they have had the, the greatest of years. They're one of these old schools. They're in old school rivalries and to see Homer finally get to the dome is, is a great thing. I think for the LHSA. I agree. And look, to me, that is, um, that's, that's football. You know, that's high school football. It's the reason I've always enjoyed being a high school football coach. Uh, you know, those, those parish schools, city schools, uh, you get away from the big city. That's Friday night football. You know, the, those are the schools and when it's homecoming week, you have the homecoming parade, you know, and they're going down the main street and, you know, you know, it's almost like everybody's on a hayride. They're throwing apples and beads and really bringing out what high school football should be about. And it, to be honest with you, those are the kind of schools I think that you write stories about, you know, the, the 20 years from now, there's a story written about this Homer football team that made it to the state championship game. And hopefully you know, they can write a good ending to it. You know, a little Hoosiers type story where, where somebody you've never heard of wins a state championship. Uh, 
And, you know, those, they, they put the big picture up in the gym, and 50 years from now, people are still talking about it. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, we're talking about Homer and the rivalries. They were able to beat their rival last week, Haynesville, who was a regular in the Dome as well. Um, right. So that, that's a great thing for them. The oldest rivalry in the state. In fact, I think it's in the top three or four in the, in the country. Oldest rivalries. I know Holy Cross Jesuit is up there as well. Uh, they'll, they'll be facing a Logan sport team that also knows a little bit about getting to the Dome. But And then lastly, we'll just touch on 3A, which is being played on Saturday afternoon right before Ponchatoula and Zachary. And number one, Sterlington playing number seven, Union Parish. And, you know, the Union Parish Farmers have been always been one of those, like, pain in the keister type teams, a team you don't want to play, you don't want to go there. Um, you know, you talk about those parish schools where they live and breathe farmer football up there. I, I, right. I love the, this, uh, this kind of game. You'll see all those people in the dome on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, no doubt. It's my favorite nickname in all LHSAA, the Farmers, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, they used to exactly be Farmerville. Right, right, right. You know, that, um, again, you're dealing with kind of, I think when you grow up in a big city like you and I did, you go on a show, and I, I obviously went to Holy Cross. One of the things you don't see, because you're always getting on a bus, going to one or two places, right? You're either going to Gormley or you're going to Memphis, you know, now or EJ. So you go to one or three places. Those guys get on those buses, they take those hour and a half rides to somebody else's town and and just be just feel the atmosphere of a Friday night. So, you know, as much as going to the Superdome is the end all, it's where you want to be. Those guys experience that, maybe not the stadium, but they experience that atmosphere all the time. So again, you got two schools, uh, you know, that that they understand winning, obviously, but they also understand the environment, you know. And if you if they close their eyes for a minute, it, it could be like that game's being played either at, at Union Parish or up at Sterlington. And uh, I think that's what makes those games electric. Other two games we didn't mention, um, E.D. White uh, making, I think, I believe it's a, is the first trip to the Dome for E.D. White. It's the first trip in a long time. A long time. I remember yeah, 80s, as crazy maybe. as this is. Yeah, my cousin actually played on an E.D. White State runner-up team that lost to Curtis uh, back Euclid Michel back in the uh, mid to early 80s. Okay. Uh, E.D. White made a run um, and then ran into Curtis. So, but, uh, yeah, play, you know. They'll, they'll play have, ULAB on, uh, on Friday night at, uh, at UL, so that ought to be interesting. Yeah, and you know what? Again, kind of like the St. Charles Catholic story, Think about what those guys overcame early in the year. They didn't even know if they would have a season, right, with, with Ida coming through, literally right through Thibodeau, you know. And uh, those guys were able to have a great year and now almost a magical ride if they can finish this thing up with, with the gold trophy. And then lastly, uh, Division Four. before we talk about the two games that already happened because obviously big for the New Orleans metro area, I mean – I just really big, actually. Watchtower Christian and Southern Lab, th- that Division Four game, that one is is in the Dome on Friday at noon. Um, man, that, that's two heavyweights going against each other right there. Watchtower Christian, I mean, they've been almost unbeatable, but they showed against Calvary last week that they they, they can be beat, even though they won by, yeah. by three. And then Southern yeah, Lab Southern Lab's been rolling through everybody. Yeah, and, and they, look, they'll – if they got 65, 70 players on the field between both schools, 
50 of them will be really, really, really good football players. Right. I mean, those schools have some excellent players uh, in their program, always have. And, and, you know, again, it's not one of those games where you think, well, it's, you know, it's Division Four. there's not a lot of guys. It will be a very exciting football game because the 11 that they put on the field offensively and defensively are going to be exceptionally good. I want to talk about the, the two games from last weekend. I know you were, you were at the Jesuit game, right? Correct. The Jesuit Catholic game, 14-10. It was 14-10 at halftime, and then it finishes 14-10. Uh, Catholic, to me, the most impressive thing about the game, and we'll talk about Jesuit and what Ryan Manali was able to do this season, but Catholic, to get the ball back with 6.35 left in the fourth quarter and run the clock out is right. is impressive. I mean, that's a state championship drive right there without even scoring. Yeah, and look, obviously we went up against that Jesuit defense, which was spectacular all year. Their, their front seven were, were phenomenal. Um, old, big guys, you know. They weren't just a senior-dominated team. They were a team with older, you know, 18-, 19-year-old seniors on it. So those, were, those guys were men, sometimes men playing boys, as the old adage goes. So for Catholic to be able to line up and do that um, – you know, just goes to show you what kind of talent they had. The running back for Catholic is phenomenal. Uh, but, but, you know, just the way they went about doing things this year, in typical Catholic high fashion, um, just got big, strong, really, really good football players. Um, you know, you had the two largest all-boys uh, all Catholic schools in, in the state playing each other. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, I'd love to know what the gate was. Financially, yeah. I know they had I heard a lot the, of people. I heard it was between twenty-two and twenty-five thousand, which is incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really an electric atmosphere. I'm gonna tell you, Jim. On a, on a side note to that, you know, as much as I loved playing in the Superdome, that that venue at Yulman is is 100%. excellent. Hundred percent, it is excellent. You know, I think they ought and to play I, every I, state championship there. I, I you know, sometimes. You know, the dome will swallow you. I was lucky the two times I went, we had huge, huge, huge crowds, right? You would have for both up. But you get in some of those games and there's three, 4,000 people there and it's the, the, the dome is, looks as giant as it is. Yulman is just such a great venue. It was, a, it was really an awesome night to watch high school football. Uh, but, you know, I got to take my hat off to Ryan and, and, and what they were able to do. Uh, to get Jesuit into the, the Division One championship game, um, you know, I, I felt all along when we played them and then watching them go through the year that they were the best team in our district. I, I know people would argue that, but I, I just felt like they were the best team in our district. They had the best offensive player. You know, uh, quarterback was phenomenal. Yeah. Their offensive line was big and physical, which you know it would be with a Ryan Manali coach team. Um, their staff is, 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 is excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, you know, and so they were able to come in and just kind of put everything together and, and have that run. And, um, you know, again, uh, it would be interesting to see those teams have to go through a five week gauntlet, you know, yeah. um, just, just to see if you can stay healthy the style of football both of them play where they got to line up and really knock people off football. Um, it would have been interesting to see, but it, it you know, it's, just, it's where we are right now with the division. Um, but you, you can't, you can't count out the fact that that was two really good, 
really good football teams playing. There's, there's no doubt. And the job that Ryan Manali did was, was just incredible. And, and I think, you know, you and I talked about it on, on the drive up to Ponchatoula last week. I think you were right in the fact that one of the things that Ryan did that was just outstanding and a lot of coaches wouldn't do was he didn't try to change too much. He went in there and he says, you know what? I'm going to put my stamp on this thing, but the things that work, I'm not going to mess with it. Yeah, I, I, well, I agree. And, and I think that that's, that's as smart a coaching as you could possibly look at. People want to look at coaching, you know, on Friday nights. All right. He's the good coach. He's a bad coach. He's a good player. He's not a good player. And they see it on a Friday night. And they want to make that assessment. They don't understand. The general fan will never understand. The old Jim Moore line. You, you yeah. know, you yeah. don't know. You'll yeah. never, ever know. You think the, you the know. Stuff that, <laughs> right. The stuff that goes on at practice, in the weight room, in staff meetings, in parent meetings, uh, the identity of the school. I mean, you know, Jesuit has a tremendous identity, obviously. I mean, that blue J is yep. universal. And, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't know because obviously I'm not there, but I think Ryan did a great job, a great job of not losing the identity of the school and realizing who he has on his staff. I mean, you know, he's got guys on his staff that were head coaches in state championship games. You know, he's got guys on his staff that played in state championship games. He's got, he's got Gino Gambaluca played in the national championship game. So to go in there and, and you know, there's, you know, and, and coach rule, you know, coaching through the lineage of this district in, in high, high level, high profile programs, they, they did as good a job as I've ever seen ever for a first year staff with, you know, with a team that I think really played well in big games, just played exceptionally well in big games. And people at Holy Cross don't want to hear this, but I mean, if you look and see what uh, what Jesuit was able to do this year, and we would wondering how Ryan Manali would fit. Well, obviously he fits pretty well, and you got to think that these Blue Jays are going to be around for a while, even though they had a lot of senior talent. Um, you got to think that he's starting a program over there. Yeah, I would agree. And look, I never think I don't I don't really compare. Well, we all were there where they are, Jim. I mean, um, you know, obviously. And I wasn't really trying. I wasn't really trying to do that, Coach. I'm just saying that you got to appreciate with with what he's been able to do, and you have to think that where what he was able to do in one year that leads to being able to get kids to want to play football at Jesuit. Not that you ever had that problem, but you're talking about the the big time athlete. If you say, look, this team can make it to a championship. Ryan Manali's been done it with De La Salle. Now he's done it. I mean, it was part of the allure of having you at Holy Cross. I mean, you've done it at two different places. You know, now Ryan's in a, in a similar boat, and that's why I think Jesuit is trying to establish that that year after year win and not just do it once every five or six years kind of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I, well, we go to a lot of places together, uh, a lot of, lot of parks, a lot of schools, and, and they're the hot guy right now. You know, but I also think what Ryan did, which was just really, really smart on his part, like I said, was stay true to the Jesuit identity, you know, and, and not get away from, from what the school is. Uh, 
because you, you can never, in football especially, I don't think you can ever be very, very successful unless the school's very, very successful. And Jesuit has been very successful for a long time. So don't go change something that's not broken, right? And, and that's what he did. I, I really thought he did a great job. I, I, I thought he did a great job coaching that football team. Lastly, I want to talk about Wayne Stein, and because I saved the best for the last. And I think if you look at what St. Charles was able to accomplish, I mean, last year, they, I think they shocked the world. And, and, and I know people use that term. But to, to be able to even hang with Lafayette Christian like they did last year, I thought was amazing enough. But to be able to beat them, and not just beat them, but beat them with what they those kids have been through this season, it started off, and I talked to Wayne, I think in week five or six when they played Lakeshore, and I think they didn't even know if they were going to be able to play football. He didn't know if he was going to be able to assemble a football team. And I'm going to talk to Wayne here um, a little bit. I'm not sure – as I talk to you, I don't know the order of the show, so I may have already talked to him when we get to this. But the, the, the fact that they were able to assemble the team after Ida and these kids were living all over the place in New Orleans East and Slidell and, and maybe in Baton Rouge, and they, they came together and went on a run, to me, one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen in 31 years in this job. Right. Well, I'm going to say a couple of things on that. Number one, uh, programs win championships, you know, and when and the word culture is thrown around a lot in, in sports, but what, what that program has been under Coach Monica and under Wayne Stein, that program will always be. That, that is written in stone. Secondly, the, the people in the River Parishes are so – committed to to that section of the city and to the uh, and to 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 themselves to that environment to who they are it, it was i don't my vocabulary isn't extensive enough to talk about how great the river parishes are and st charles catholic Destrehan, hornville you know all that whole group i i used to tell college coaches coming through when i was at hornville just go down this road on one side of the river, get to the, you know, to, to the, the St. James Parish line, cross the river and come back and you'll have enough football players to fill up a college There's football no doubt. <laughs> You know, and, and that is the, look, the environment at St. Charles Catholic. Again, the, the school, the kids in the school, the people who run the school, they are so good at what they do. It doesn't shock me that they that they turned around and won this thing, and and it's it, it again. It's just, just that 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 River Parish area is a special special area, and those people are just awesome. So there was never a doubt in their mind they were going to overcome all those obstacles and win. They they didn't even flinch. But you you look at these, and of course they got a couple big kids. But I mean it's like these scrawny kids who you look at you put the St. Charles kids next to the Lafayette Christian kids, and they don't even look like they belong on the same field. I mean, right. and, and and it's a Lafayette Christian team who beat Acadiana earlier in the year. I mean, we know how good Acadiana is. And right. they beat a bunch of really good teams. And they're moving up to 4A next year because they've grown so so big so quickly. And to right. think that, that you had to think that after St. Charles got their shot last year, in Frank Monica's last season, 
And then they got a new coach this year, and, and who's really an old coach. He's been there forever. Right. But, but I mean, it's just it, – to me, to be able to go and, and you have the big fight against Notre Dame and you barely win against Notre Dame, but you find a way to knock off Louis Cook and that monster, and then you, you knock off two monsters in a row. It's just I, – I don't know that, it, that there's a there's – a, it'd, be, it'd be like Westgate, I guess, beating Carr and then beating Easton. Well – Jim, you know why you know why uh, they call winners winners because they win. Wayne Stein, you know, he wins a he's they won. win a lot, and they and they have won a lot. Uh, not you know not just football. I mean, they win a lot in a in other sports. And the thing about those those schools of that size, how many crossover kids do? You, how many kids on that football team are going to turn right around and play for, for Wayne in baseball? And be yeah. exceptional. Most of right? them. Exceptional. Right. The, so just know how to win. So it does, they don't look. They never look. I, I promise you, they never look at their opponent. They don't look and say, well, we got Notre Dame, Crowley, and they are a monster. Well, we got Lafayette, Christian, and they are a monster. No, they look and say, hey, we say Charles Catholic. We're, <laughs> we're, we're monsters. We're anybody. Right. We're <laughs> monsters. You know? And that, to me, that is when, when you have it figured out. That's when you have... You, you're now one of those guys that, like, like next year, you know, they just won this past Saturday, right? Or, you know, next year. We're talking about next year when you say, okay, who's going to be in the Division three championships? You're going to mention St. Charles Catholic. Who's going to be in the 5A championships? You're going to mention Zachary or Destrahan or Acadiana. They've proven that moxie. Over and over and over and over and over. So they just know how to do it. It's it's become common occurrence for them. Well, coach, I think uh, I think it's a Disney movie in the making. I mean, I, I really think the storyline for them is is truly a Disney movie. The only problem is I don't know what actor you could find to uh, to 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 be able to imitate Wayne Stein's voice. <laughs> I mean, I can't do it, and I don't right. know who. They can't pronounce Claymore probably correctly and all the other names that they got over at St. Charles. So that would be a, probably be a problem for them. Other than that, it'd be a great movie. They might have to change some of the names and the voices or whatever. But, uh, look, I really enjoyed being with you last Friday. I wish we could spend more time together. I know our roads have gone a little bit different over the past few years. Um, I miss you, buddy. And I, 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 we got to find some time to spend, spend time together in the offseason. You know I'm all in, buddy. I'll, I'll even drive across – it's the lakes. No big deal. <laughs> we'll do it, and we'll we'll even have Sharon and Dreo will come along, and they can talk bad about us in front of our faces. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a win, my friend. Uh, I'm missing. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Holy Cross football coach Nick Saltavamaggio. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Love it. Just like he does during the broadcast. Can Frank? That's what I like. Not everybody likes that. All the time, but uh, I think we both are who we are, and we're friends because I think we think the same way in a lot of ways. We tell it like it is, or at least like the way we think it is, as Phil Insomo says in my own opening. But um, had some good points, and uh, you just got to look. My, we'll talk to Wayne Stein in a minute, and we're going to talk to Hank at some point. Your hat's got to go off to Jerry Phillips and Ryan Manali, right? No matter what Jerry does this week, what a success story he's been coaching 
on Canal Street and getting those kids to believe in them and changing the whole mentality of a program. And uh, you know it was beginning to change when he got there, but he took it to a whole nother level. And the Warren Easton Fighting Eagles have been kind of one of those uh, teams that I've always kind of followed from afar and been a fan of. I know there's a lot of people over there who don't think that. There's a lot of people at Easton think I don't like them, and I don't. I, it's because of one pick I made, I thought they would lose to Lakeshore in the semifinals two years ago. It turned out to be maybe the greatest game I've ever broadcast. It's 64 to 55. It had two onside kicks returned for a touchdown in the final minute. It had um, two 47-yard touchdown passes in the span of, I think, five minutes of game time. It was a lot longer than that because it was spread across the first half and second half. It had Mr. Football in it who scored, who accounted for 70, and that's right, 7-0, 70 touchdowns in the 2019 season. So, look, Easton's looking forward to getting back to the Dome, giving themselves a chance to get their first state championship. I believe it's been since the 40s. I'd have to look that up. And I know Ponchatoula is going for their first state championship since 1942. So some history can be made in the Dome this weekend. Easton plays on Friday night, Ponchatoula on Saturday night. I will be doing the call of the Ponchatoula game on Varsity Sports Now, an audio broadcast that will be free to the public, and I will give out uh, how to listen to that coming up uh, later this week. But I'm looking forward to that, assuming that I can talk for three hours straight, which if it were today, I probably couldn't do it, but uh, hopefully by then I'll be okay. Let's get into Wayne Stein. And um, again, just an incredible story. I want you to tell me what you think. Seriously. After you listen to the story, I want you to um, email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or find me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. I want to know what you think. And I'm not kidding. I'm not, a, I'm not just throwing this out there for, for fodder. I, I really want you to, to send me a, a message. If we're friends on Facebook or if you have my phone number, feel free to text me or write me there too. But it's 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 a it's an incredible story that, you know, I with all that was going on with Ida, we all had our own moments here. If you live in if you listen to this in the New Orleans area and you went through Ida, we all have our own stories. But none of them match what the people in the river parishes went through. Or hardly anyone. I mean, I know some. I have some friends that lived in Grand Isle, and they had it like that too. So, obviously, if you live on the coast, then that's different. But I know some people in the North Shore. Look, we we just got our limbs picked up, and I, I say this with Wayne in a moment. Our limbs just get picked up out of the front lawn um, last week. They were out in the front lawn since we got home. We evacuated for a little over a week. Piles of debris everywhere in this neighborhood for, and I live in the, on the North Shore. Piles of debris in the neighborhood for months. Just old, just brown, dead limbs and leaves and debris and fences and roof shingles and whatever. Whatever. 
sitting out in front of people's lawns for weeks and weeks as a reminder to what we went through. But nobody went through, unless again, unless you live in Grand Isle or somewhere thereabouts, what the people went through as the storm just kind of went up that alley over the river parishes. And I remember sitting in Panama City watching it just kind of like regenerate itself over St. Charles and St. James Parish, just in Lafouche Parish, just generate over and over again. Just sit there. They took the brunt. And I don't know how any of those kids ended up playing football, at least not in September. But not only did they play football, but these kids were doing all sorts of things. I'm going to let him tell you the story because I don't want to ruin it. So let's get to it. And you're probably yelling at your phone. Okay, we get it. Let's hear it. So here he is, Wayne Stein. Welcoming in St. Charles football coach Wayne Stein into the Datitude podcast. And you can't hear it at the moment, but you will throughout this podcast for some unknown reason. My my neighbors have decided to do construction work uh, right when I decide to broadcast here today. But I think that's apropos for for the, the St. Charles team because you somehow, all the construction, you guys have been constructing all year long. And I think this is one of the most amazing stories. And I've been doing this job for 31 years. And, and I think what you guys were able to pull off this year and not even knowing if you would have a season about 12 or 13 weeks ago and to be able to win a state championship is almost unfathomable to me. It, Jim, it's, it's been a, it's kind of hard to believe it's real. I keep waiting to wake up and it's all been a big dream, but you know, it started with, you know, we thought we had a real good football team, returned some good guys from last year. Didn't quite know if we were state champion material, uh, but then we go to you high in the scrimmage and, and we shut out you high. Not a lot of people know that uh, we beat you high 10 to nothing. And we kind of said, well, you know, we kind of got something here. Uh, and then we're getting prepared to play country day in the Jamboree and, and us and Mike McGuire and, and their administration all decided to cancel due to Hurricane Ida. And I'll never forget sitting in that meeting with our kids and, uh, you know, teenage kids. So they're going home, which is rare. And they're kind of giggling. I'm like, guys, you know, this is serious. You know, make sure we all have your numbers. Make sure we know where you are. Uh, you know, I'll never forget Katrina uh, and when we all scattered and, and how that went. And sure enough, we just took on the full brunt of Ida. I mean, we got it. Uh, from the floor and from the top, it was a direct hit. It was slow moving and not just applause, the river parishes, which were a river parish school, just total destruction. I mean, I, I evacuated with my family to, uh, to Houston and I remember friends that stayed saying they would never stay again and, and saying, don't come home coaches. There's, there's nothing to be, nothing to see here. Like it's just, it's like a bomb went off. And until you saw it for yourself, it was hard to believe, but it truly looked like a war zone. Uh, and I was blessed. I had just built a house in the last 12 months. And because of Isaac, uh, our house was a little higher than the rest of our neighborhood. But my home is one of only 15 in, in the neighborhood that I'm in that did not flood. So most of our kids and, and families either got it from the bottom floor flood, from the top of roof damage, or they got both. A lot of them is a total gut. Uh, we've got kids still living in campers. Uh, living in RVs, living in hotels. I uh, had a kid the other day who's was, was sleeping through a test. Teacher's like, well, you know, what happened? Said, you know, somebody pulled the fire alarm at 2 a.m. at our hotel. And I, mean, I didn't get, never got back to sleep, man. And 
that's the reality of what our kids are really dealing with. And for them to come out and and uh, ignore all those things for a football aspect of it, uh, I just couldn't be prouder to be their coach. Coach, you and I talked after I covered your your game against Lakeshore. Um, shut down a, a very potent offense in that game. And I couldn't have been more impressed. But you and I had a, a nice conversation afterwards. And you were telling me that when the kids finally did come back, that you guys were – uh, you you would go out and help other people fix homes before you'd have practice. And these kids were, were, were trying to go to school and all. I mean, that was having 14, 16 hour days doing work in the community as well as playing football. How, how, how did these kids and how did you manage going through all that and being able to keep assembling a season, knowing that your job in the community was as important as it was on the football field? Well, it's crazy, Jim, and, you know, you learn from experience, and, and believe it or not, we had a similar experience in 2012 with Hurricane Isaac. You know, you know I flooded, Coach Monica flooded, and, and probably 70% did not have the it – it was not a wind event. It was not 120-mile-an-hour winds. It was not total destruction. It was strictly flood. And I felt like myself – I'm not saying Coach Monica – I felt like that year I coached with a little too much compassion. And what I mean by that is, you know – well, the first practice we got back, and I told those kids, I said, look, we all going through something. We don't know what you need unless you tell us. So if you need a blue tarp, you come tell us we're going to get it done. You need your house gutted, you can tell us we're going to get it done. But when we're out here for these two hours, we're not going to coach you like we feel sorry for what's going on. We're going to coach you to win a state championship. That is our only goal. And you might be having a bad day, and you can tell us why you're having a bad day and those things, but we are going to coach like this is normal because these two hours is our one getaway from what's going to happen when we walk out of here. And I think, you know, it put into perspective, I think that's why we played so well. I mean, I don't know if you can see my ceiling, like there is no tiles, you know, in my ceiling. Uh, I mean, you know, we're used to it. You know, it's almost like you, you, you get immune to everything that's going on, but our kids almost got their season taken away. I never forget being in Houston and Moses Clark in a huddle message with a whole team is saying, Coach, my family wants to enroll me in school in Georgia. And I think that's when the rest of the team was like, man, this is real. Like, are we playing? And I said, well, we're going to play. I said, look, you do what you got to do. You got brothers. You know, I uh, understand, you know, from a family standpoint, you, you got to do what you got to do. But I want you to know we're going to play. So the, the New Orleans Archdiocese and our principal gave me an opportunity to start practice uh, probably 12 days after the storm. Uh, first day, and I'm thinking we're going to have 40 kids, you know. And first day, we got 80 kids. Next day, we got 90 kids. And that was a Thursday, Friday. By Monday, the Monday before we played De La Salle, we had all 100 kids back. Uh, and when we played De La Salle, and I watched my kids lay it on the line that day, it was hot as can be. All we got is black jerseys, so it's even hotter. Uh, and they're playing a heck of a team in De La Salle, and they just would not give in. I said, we got something special here. Uh, they felt like they were playing for more than just themselves and just each other. They were playing for a whole community. And, uh, they really made everybody proud the entire year. And I know at least a lot of the kids are at least back in their area now. Um, but you would tell me back at the time, that again, I, th- I can't remember whether it was week five or week six. It was somewhere around there. But you had kids living in New Orleans East and slide out all, all over the place. And they were driving – some of these kids were driving an hour and a half to two hours – 
just to get to school and get to football practice, and that's how much it meant to them. Well, there was a time before we got back to school, I had kids living in Eunice. Uh, I had a kid driving from Morgan City every day. I had a handful of kids driving from New Orleans East. You know, and, and uh, i never forget, I, I got on one of my kids one time uh, about being late. And uh, even though it wasn't that early in the morning, I said, you know, Coach, I can't get the car until the car gets home. And, again, learning, an adult learned from a kid, like, look, just because it looks okay on the surface don't mean it's okay. So, uh, but our kids just kept coming to work every day. Uh, and it was, we kept saying it's a race to be the best team at the end. Um, and we, uh, you know, we weren't the complete package the whole year, but our kids never showed any panic. I mean, we were so comfortable. I don't know if there's ever been a team that I've ever had that was that comfortable in getting a tight game, whether they were winning or losing. Uh, and you even saw that on Saturday down 27, 26 at the end, no panic, um, feeling like they're going to find a way to get it done in the end. And how, how you know, it just we, it, we're 15 minutes into this, this interview or 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it is. And we haven't even brought up the legend, Coach Monica. And, and I mean, you, you, you've taken over. Now, obviously, you've been with Coach, Coach Frank for quite a while now. So it wasn't like you came in from nowhere. So you've been at St. Charles for, for, what, I think 15 years now? Is that how long it's been? This is your 18. So yeah, 18 seven. years, 18 years. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you came in fresh and, and you, you wanted to continue what Coach Frankie has been doing for a long time now. But to be able to take this team over with such I – mean, I know this sounds weird, but did it almost help that you had like this other thing, this major thing going on that you didn't have to think about trying to replace a legend? You just coach football – and just just went on your week to week task. You didn't have to think about Coach Frankie because you had to do your own thing because there was no other way to do it. Well, you know, first of all, I don't think you replaced Coach Monica, and I don't want to. Uh, and I, I, uh, we play at Frank Monica Field, and I want him his name to be uh, synonymous with this program for the rest. And he he tried to stay away at times to to let me, you know, put my mark on it. But at the end of the day, if that's what I was worried about, I wouldn't have took the job. Um, but I will say this, 17 years under him and you think you're prepared, uh, and, I, and I was, and then all of a sudden a Cat 5, 4 hurricane comes ripping through your community, and there's, there's no playbook for it. It's just like COVID, right? There's no playbook for how do you handle that, you know, you, you had to lose all your jerseys because you had mold or you had to rip up lockers or you don't have any – you can't even – my coaches haven't even met in the office all season – because there was no insulation. It was either too hot or too cold. Uh, there was no playbook. So do I think that that distraction in a way helped? At first, I did think the biggest thing I was doing was how do I handle making this thing my own uh, and people not being able to compare everything to Coach Monica. The great thing was I was able to take all the things that I learned from Coach Monica and we rolled with the things I never wanted to change. And the things I wanted to change, we changed them. And uh, you know, some of those things I changed, I'm going back to the way we did it with Monica. I mean, you got to learn for yourself. And that's what he told me, you know, uh, but it was nice to have somebody that still I can call and ask questions. And the questions weren't always about X's and O's. It might be coach. What time am I supposed to be on the sideline when we break the paper? It's just something I never paid attention to as an assistant. Right. 
You know, am I supposed to be on the, on the sideline by 6.55? Uh, what time should I leave? You know, little things that I think you take for granted. Uh, but blessed to have a mentor and blessed to not rush myself into being a head coach. As I said the other night, I spent 10 years as an assistant before I took over f- for baseball for Paul Wagsback. And I soaked up everything I could possibly soak up. And I spent 17 years under Coach Monica. And I tried to soak up as much as I possibly could. And I think those two people prepared me for the for the job at hand. And also, how much did winning a state cha- winning state championship in baseball, uh, how much did that help you? And obviously, you were in this game as an assistant last year against this same team that no one gave you a chance to beat last year. And I think everyone was shocked at how close it was last year. And then to go in and be able to play the same team, how much did all those things help you this week? I'll never forget this. I'm a young coach, uh, and I, I get to St. Charles my first year, and I think we're pretty good. Uh, and we lose in the quarterfinals to Lutcher in 2004. And uh, the kids fall out of the locker room, and, uh, you know, I was upset. Coach Monica could see I was upset, and obviously he was upset. And before that, we had only won – we had not won a playoff game under Coach Monica uh, when he took over. And he, and he told me, he goes, you don't go from not winning a playoff game, Wayne, to winning a state championship. Uh, and what I, what I learned by that was, you know, your program, your school, your kids, your coaching staff, they have to take some growing pains, you know, and some, some adversity till they're ready to be a champion. You know, uh, it happened to us in baseball. Uh, you know, we've had multiple runner-ups, and I learned something from every single one of them. We were runner-ups again last year in baseball, and I, I learned something from that experience. I thought maybe I was a little too loose for that group. Uh, and our kids, a lot of the kids, they play both. So, you know, I'm blessed. I was telling somebody this this morning. You know, I've been, in a, I've been in this coaching thing for 18 years. I've coached in seven state championships in baseball and seven state championships in football. And I think I learned something from every single one. Uh, but at the end of the day, man, it's about players. It's about kids, right? It's about trying to put them in position to play well. It's about your staff. Uh, and I have a phenomenal one. Um, and our kids really, we asked them at halftime to, to show everybody in the world an effort that nobody had seen. They completely emptied the tank. We didn't have a whole lot left in the fourth quarter, Jim. Um, and when we did take the lead, our kids, they found it from somewhere. They dug really deep and all of a sudden we're energized. Uh, and the defense goes out again and plays like they played all year, those last two drives to, to secure a state championship. It was unbelievable. Talk about your – let's talk about the game. And you're going up against – it's truly David versus Goliath. That that cliche gets used so many times. It's way overused. But in this situation, there is no doubt about it. You put your kids on the field and look at your kids against that team, and your kids don't look like they belong on the same field as, as that team. But they fight. They fight harder than maybe any team you're going to see fight. And you take the lead, uh, you, you know, on the – talk about that that special teams play. And Coach Monica is one of the guys – Coach Atelier is the same way. Special teams is a huge, huge deal at St. Charles, and it always has been, as long as Coach Frank Monica has been there. And I know you you soaked that up as well. But to, to basically take the lead on a special teams play like that, what did it mean for you – what was the feeling for you to see that? Well, first of all, I know from the David Goliath thing, I think part of what gives us a chance is, you know, we don't feel that way. 
you know, and our expectations for our kids here are to win, and they know that. And uh, we've never made excuses, no matter who we've played against. Uh, and so I think our kids expected to win, and, and and our coaching staff expected to win, and that's that's have the battle from a special team standpoint. And the way the game started, it was almost a role reversal of last year, right? I mean, last year couldn't have started any worse, and this year couldn't have started any better. Um, and you know, special teams here, the first thirty minutes of every single practice is that's going to be the focus, and we don't allow anybody else to do anything during the time. That's a coach Monica thing. And the reason he did it is, won't you let your linemen go do lineman things? No, because we want everybody to understand how important this is. Um, and so special teams to us, and, and Coach Monica told me this, he goes, it's not about the scheme. It's about the head coach showing how important it is. You know, if you go pawn it off an assistant and say, oh, you got the punt team, and you take it in the start off, when, when guys score for us, let's say an offensive guy scores a touchdown like a Zach Vignair, and he's on kickoff coverage, or a defensive guy is tired, and they ask, can I get off a kickoff? Our answer is, hey, run down there on kickoff, and I'll take you off a defense. So <laughs> that's how important it is. And obviously, what does that kid say? I'm good. You know? But that's how important it is to us. Uh, you know, we were just trying to get some hidden yards, as Coach Monica taught, Right. Uh, not necessarily trying to block every single punt, trying to pressure everything we did, play on our toes, not on the heels, and maybe get a shank punt and not let them turn the field over. Because uh, we are a special teams, defense, and ball control offense, and we're not, a, we not, a, we not embarrassed about who we are. That's how we built this thing. So uh, we knew that field position would truly matter. That's why I punted with five minutes to go. And, I, and, and that was a tough decision. You're on a plus side – but I felt like our defense was going to give our offense one more opportunity, uh, and Carter Chauvin was going to kick a game winner. So when I, we punted, I never thought we'd block the punt. I thought we'd pressure one uh, and have another opportunity for our offense to to get get some points. Coach, you're up 32 to 27 with two minutes left, and they get the ball back one more time. And I mean, you guys expect to win. I get that, but. Uh, other people listen and say, here you go. Here's, you know, here's Lafayette Christian, almighty Lafayette Christian. They get, they're going to get one more chance. Not only did they not score, they didn't get a first down. Um, and, and, and you guys had adversity with, with a weird call there at the end, too, that, uh, that you overcame. I, I mean, just talk about that drive and, and, and what you were thinking when they get the ball back with two minutes left and a couple things don't go your way, but you're still able, still able to get it done. Right. And, and you know, it's crazy. There's no panic by our kids. Uh, we asked them to pick us up, right? Because that's my mistake. You know, and, and what happened was I felt like we got the first down. And our argument was after we got the first down, the clock's not running. I mean, the, right. the game clock's not running. So Lafayette Christian had not called a timeout, and the clock had not run. So we were upset about that. Um, get a flag on our sideline. And maybe the worst case scenario, right? They, they reverse the spot, say it's fourth and inches, and now it's fourth and 16 instead of fourth and inches. Uh, so if I, if I didn't tell you that, it crossed my mind. Like, it's been an unbelievable ride as a head coach, and I'm about to blow it for my kids. <laughs> I, I'd be lying. <laughs> uh, but man, I got to be honest, I know a lot of people don't feel this way, but. 
most comfortable when our defense is on the field to win this football game. And uh, that's what we said. Hey, one, one last time, one last stop. Y'all have done this all year. We're here because of you. Uh, let's just go play. Let's go. We're not going to play prevent. Let's go do what we do. And that's what we did. And uh, those completion, there's four incompletions and uh, just been unbelievable. It's unbelievable the way we played all year defensively. Defensive coordinator Jason Brown. I always I said this after the Newman game. I think he's playing chess, and everybody else is playing checkers. <laughs> kids are completely bought in. I mean, they're completely bought in to to what he's selling, to what we're doing. Uh, and Coach Monica taught me this. He's an offensive guy. We put our best players on defense, uh, and I think Coach Todd Monica did a phenomenal job of when it was time to take a shot. He took a shot when it was time to run the football and punt the defensive play. He did. And I just think that's rare in this day and age, right? Everybody thinks they got the magic play. Everybody wants to score points. Everybody wants to throw the football. Uh, but at St. Charles Catholic, the only stat we care about is winning. Coach, talk about how, and you and I have kind of talked about this, I think, last spring. Um, you guys have 20-some-odd kids that um, they play football and baseball, and you're with these kids – as much as you're with your own family or more. Um, how much does that factor in? And I know it doesn't happen this way as much as at 4A and 5A schools, and it probably doesn't happen at Lafayette Christian. I would have guessed that it doesn't. How much does the fact that you spend 9, 10, 11 months out of the year with these kids as much as you spend your own family? Well, obviously there's good and there's bad to that, right? I mean, uh, it's true. I mean, we... Uh, our kids, they know I care. They, they know, I know who they are. I can tell whenever things are going right, when things are going wrong. Uh, and we have bad days with each other. And sometimes from a parent standpoint, they might get, they might get upset with that. They might see some an interaction between me and the kid and they might think that I saw something that's disrespectful, but the truth is it's not. I mean, it's like a family, you know, the guys that play in the secondary, cause I basically coach the secondary, right? I've done that for the last 18 years, and I was defensive coordinator, but I'm still coaching the corners and the safeties and all of that. And most of those guys play baseball. I mean, they are with me, like you just said, 10, 11 months. I mean, directly. So they see the good, the bad, and the ugly of me, and I see the good, the bad, and the ugly of them. Uh, it's obviously hard, to, especially I have three kids at home, you know, 110, 17, and 12. Uh, you have to have a phenomenal wife, and I do. I mean, my my kids are raised by my wife, my mother-in-law, my wife has an identical twin. So um, I'm blessed to, to have that. She hasn't known me as anything but a coach. So uh, she's not counting on Coach Wayne to do a whole lot at home. In fact, this little break that we have between football and baseball, she'll usually, I'll start questioning things and she'll say, you know, <laughs> for 360 days out of the year, we run this thing pretty good without you. So, so keep your comments and your suggestions uh... to yourself. So, but I think, look, I got 60 baseball players and 50 of them to play football. You know, it's just what you do here. It's the culture here. You play football, you play baseball. It makes them better baseball players. It makes them better football players. Uh, what's the point of you not playing football? The head football coach is the head baseball coach. So you're not going to impress me in baseball during football season. Uh, and uh, our kids and myself have, have made it balanced the best we possibly could. Uh, and hopefully we can continue and continue to have success. Coach, I have a, a wife who has an identical twin, and I have a 10-year-old at home and a 5-year-old at home, and I've been known to – I've been told many times to 
to learn my place. So, uh, you know, we, we may be able to do our, our thing uh, the way we want in, in our professional lives, but we know our place at home, right? Right, right. She's the she's the head coach at home. I'm just um, I'm a truly an assistant, or maybe even not that. I might be the player. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But you're right about having strong wives and needing that, Coach. I, you know, before I let you go, I told Coach South this that uh, you know. I really think that, and I'm not exaggerating, I think that what you guys did this year is a Disney movie. I think somebody can make a Disney movie out of the story of St. Charles Comets football this year. The only problem is I don't know if you could get anyone to duplicate Wayne Stein's voice, and I don't know if you could get anyone to pronounce Claymore correctly and all the names that you guys and all that stuff. That would be a problem. It really was, though, Jeremy. (laughs) I really wish I would have documented it. We were talking about that the other day. You know, uh, I talk about defensive coordinator all the time, and, and we were sitting in the office today, and he was like, you know, God is really good. And I said, yeah, he is good. And he said, no, I've done this for 32 years. And he goes, uh, you know, he had went after a job, and he didn't get it, and he felt like he, felt like he was questioning things. And his son was about to go. Just like you said, he missed a lot on his son's childhood, being defensive coordinator at multiple places. And, uh, you know, he, he came here and his son said, I'll go with you. If you promise I'll graduate there. So this was year number five He And he's a phenomenal coach. He had never smelled a state championship, been in one. And not only does he win it, he wins it his son's senior year. His son throws a touchdown pass on a trick play. And he's like, my God, like you telling me God doesn't have a plan. You tell me things don't happen for a reason. Uh, and, and, you can't question. I can't question why why things are happening. I mean, we had we we were gutting houses, and and parents were asking when's football start, and we were like, it's not important right now. Said, it's important, so let us know when it's starting. And every day we'd wake up, and what I did love about it, Jim, you you know this, cell phones didn't work, so any kindness right. that was going on was strictly genuine. Nobody was doing it so they could read it. Nobody was doing it so they could put it on Facebook. Everybody was just there trying to get this place back. And the River Parish community is a special place. Uh, and I think our kids just really, really showed what the River Parish community is all about. Uh, and it would have been a happy ending for me no matter how the game ended. But you're right. I think the way it ended is it's a movie. It's unbelievable. Coach, um, a lot of coaches say when, you, when, it, when it's all over that we worked hard. We worked harder than the other team. We, we, we did it for whatever. Um, but no one can say, no matter how long I continue to do this job, and I mean this sincerely, no one can say that they worked harder to win a state championship than the St. Charles Commons did. And, Coach, you earned the right to hold that trophy up. And whenever you guys, however long you're at St. Charles and you see that trophy hanging up in your trophy case 30, 25 years from now, whenever you decide to hang it up, I know that you will be super proud of the accomplishments you've made over the past four months, and you well should be, and so should your staff, and so should your kids. Thank you, Jim. And, and, and you know this, you're around high school coaches all the time, and I've been meeting with every senior the last couple of days, and I just hope they take this championship, but they apply all the things that happened this season to their life, you know, to their marriage, to, to being a father, that, you know, things aren't always perfect. You know, we, we try to protect our kids from adversity a lot of times. And there's so much good that comes out of it. My biggest concern going into the championship was that we had not lost. 
you know, we had not felt the, what it was like to lose and kind of start over. Uh, luckily, our kids, no matter what, they never rested on their laurels and just continued to get better. And that's why we're sitting here 2021 champions. Well, in a month, you get to start all over and do it in baseball again, right? Right. We start uh, <laughs> uh, throwing tomorrow. Wow. You know, it's, uh, so it's just, you know, uh, I'm not somebody that does a great job with idle time. So, uh, you know, and it's, I don't know anything different, Jim. You know, I've never not coached both sports, and I won't do it forever. Uh, but I, I, I'm like a kid. You know, I love baseball during baseball season. I'm not thinking about football. And I love football during football season. I'm not thinking about baseball. Us as coaches have made them tough to do both. Uh, but, you know, my kids out there, uh, it's amazing what they do. I'm proud of them. And I couldn't be happier uh, than to be the head football and baseball coach and athletic director at St. Charles Catholic High School. St. Charles football coach Wayne Stein, Merry Christmas to you and your family and to the entire St. Charles uh, Comets community. I've been privileged enough to go out there and speak to your quarterback club in the past. Uh, you've got a great community out there, and I will see you during baseball season. Y'all have a great holiday season, Coach. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. If that doesn't get you, then you, you just don't have any feelings. You don't have any emotions. You need to get checked out. It's all right. It's okay if you don't have feelings and emotions. Right? Some ways it makes life easier. In all seriousness, um, just, man, congratulations to the St. Charles Comets. And really, congratulations to all the winners. As goofy as our playoff system here is in the state of Louisiana with nine state championship games, it still doesn't diminish for the kids and the coaches when they hold up that trophy. Maybe for some of the coaches later on as they think about it. I know Jay Roth over at Rummel used to think about it a little bit. He was the last uh, 5A coach to win the combined 5A championship. And then uh, he won it the next year in Division One, the first ever Division One championship. And I know he's told me in the past that it, it definitely felt different. So uh, maybe Salt's right. Maybe they'll get back together, at least in the in the top brackets, 5A and 4A. He seems to think that's coming. I hope it does because uh, it needs to happen. And it wouldn't even bother me as much, I think, if the split remained in 3A, 2A, and 1A. Uh, it wouldn't bother me as much. It would be a lot different. You know, if you had a – pardon me with that – uh, if you had 5A, 4A, and then you had um, five brackets the rest of the way, and we only had seven, that would make things a lot different and a lot more acceptable. And, again, if the smaller schools want to stay split um, and that's what's best for them, then fine. I think that would solve a lot of problems and it would um, change a lot of, a lot of opinions for sure. Well, that is going to wrap up episode number 32. I want to thank my friends over at The Advocate for allowing me, giving me a platform to do this show. Also, our friends over at Caesars Sportsbook, official sponsors of bet.nola.com and all the things we got going on at The Advocate in our sports department. We are trying to find, we're trying to, 
figure this whole thing out. This is a whole new thing, sports betting journalism, if you want to call it that, I guess. We're still journalists. So um, this is new to all of us, how we're figuring out how to do everything. We do shows on, not Datitude, we do uh, live video shows on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And Thursdays is live at the book, uh, which we will have uh, tomorrow. And this time, uh, Zach was down at the Harris a couple weeks ago. I was there last week for the Dallas game. Devin's going to Harris this week. Um, we're going to be doing our live shows. Hopefully, we'll all be there soon. It just kind of worked out weird. Uh, and I couldn't make it down there this week. But we're going to be doing that uh, live at the book. Great shows uh, each week. You want to listen to that. Of course, we've got Datitude every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during football season. Um. And if you're just listening for the first time or maybe the second time and you're not 100% sure how to find it, you just found it here on bet.nola.com or stumbled across it on uh, somewhere else, you can search wherever you search for podcasts, search for Datitude, and uh, make sure you subscribe. Before I go off the air, I do want to say one thing. Again, I've said it for a couple weeks now. Big vote coming up December 11th. If you live in St. Tammany Parish, get out there and vote yes. Vote yes for Camellia Bay Casino. Don't listen. Do you ever wonder if you've been watching ads because you've been bombarded recently, right? And you've been bombarded more with no stuff than you've been bombarded with yes stuff. You wonder where that money's coming from. A lot of it's coming from Mississippi. Because, of course, the Mississippi Gulf Coast doesn't want Slide to get a casino. It'll cut in their business. And it'll cut into the tax money that Mississippi's raking in from people that live in Slidell and New Orleans East. We want to keep that money in Louisiana. We want to keep it in St. Tammany Parish. Don't buy into all this BS about how it, it, it inflates crime. It does not. There are statistics out there that show that casinos do not increase crime. And if anything, crime goes down because local police departments are able to Hire more police officers. The casino itself will be able to hire hundreds of employees and give employees in and around St. Tammany Parish jobs. It will be a family-friendly environment. There will be things for kids to do and families to do. There will be a water park. There will be all sorts of things that you can do. There will be an amphitheater, outdoor amphitheater with concerts. So... Vote yes. If you live in St. Tammany Parish, vote yes. That is going to do it. We will see you on Friday. We will have uh, Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick on. I'm not sure who our uh, guests to talk to preview Saints Jets. We're going to try to have Ponchatoula Coach Hank Tierney on as well on Friday to preview Ponchatoula and Zachary. We thank you for listening. I thank you. If you have made it through this entire show of me, Sounding like I've got a nasal horn shoved halfway up my nostrils. Then good for you. You're a true Datitude fan, and we love you. So we will see you on Friday, and hopefully I won't sound like this. Peace and love, my friends.